Welcome to Our Data, a podcast about the public's interest in the era of big data. We explore the contours of the public's interest in the landscape of emerging database technologies. Blockchain, AI, big data, and the Internet of Things are pushing the boundaries of our imagination while challenging the ability of policymakers to respond appropriately and effectively. Join us as we talk to leading edge thinkers and doers engaged in the design, development, and regulation of these transformative database technologies with a sharp focus on how they impact the common good. So uh, today we have Tony Lai, who has uh, covered the world and done a lot of different things in looking at the emerging, uh, some would say bleeding edge of technology, the law and regulation. Tony's founder of the Stanford Codex Blockchain Group, among other things. And Tony's been looking at a lot of kind of where we're going with uh, on the leading frontier of, of uh, both blockchain and technology in general, but really focusing on governance, uh, how you bring the human in the loop, and essentially what we're going to do to make sure that a technology works for people and not the opposite way. Welcome, Tony. It's great to have you here. Uh, obviously, like, you know, we know each other well, but uh, for the audience, I mean, it's, it's great to bring you on and have you share your thoughts and kind of lead us down this conversation. Well, thank you, Michael and Ruben, both of you. Uh, I'm incredibly grateful to the work that you've put into making this podcast happen. And I'm really excited for all the people that we're going to be able to engage as part of this community. And I think, you know, that word, uh, first and foremost, is is really what I have uh, been really grateful to be a part of uh, here at Stanford uh, and being, being part of helping to build. Uh, and really that, I think that word uh, strikes at the heart of what I believe uh, this blockchain uh, revolution, this transformation, and this, you know, in, in a, you know, to put it in a very optimistic uh, sense, like the, the collective potential movement. Community. Community and the collective potential movement is, is, is inherently there with, within grasp, I feel, when we look at what blockchain technologies represent. And again, that's maybe uh, putting it, you know, in an overly optimistic light, because I think there are a lot of risks and a lot of dangers in terms of how technologies like blockchain, but across the board, like how technologies that embed certain kinds of values and certain kinds of power dynamics uh, are uh, distributed, are implemented, uh, are some of the most pressing questions that we have to think about today. And that's, that's in a sense, the, the ethical question, blockchain ethics, uh, what we mean by technology ethics more broadly, but you know specifically blockchain ethics as well. Well, well it's, it's, it's really interesting that you bring up collective and community because when a lot of people talk about technology and kind of the liberating force of it, it's at an individual level, right? And all the things it can do for you as a person and then the implications are about your individual privacy and all these things, which are obviously critical issues to address. But you're talking about something bigger and broader and how technology can actually uh, not infringe upon, but open up and strengthen that. You're right. There's a really important aspect to technology uh, over the last uh, several decades and, and centuries even that has been a trend towards the liberation of the individual uh, and their capacity to have agency and freedom and the protection of their individual rights versus an oppressive collective in one way or another, whether that's uh, you know, totalitarian governments, uh, or just you know, a uh, oppressive majority. Uh, we've developed legal systems and we've developed social norms that have 
uh, led to the enshrining of certain fundamental individual rights mm-hmm. uh, that are still in question in around much of the world, right. that are still up for debate, and that are, uh, I think, a big part of the unleashing uh, uh, of, of potential, of human potential that we've seen with technology, with the PC revolution, right, right. versus the mainframe, for example. That was a decentralization of the power of technology to individuals, you know, in their own homes. And right? mobile versus the PC were... Same again. And, you know, the, the, the notion of open source and the ability to, uh, you know, write your own software, mm-hmm. I think was, you know, a liberation of the individual to be able to contribute. And But here's where we see, I think, that next step beyond that liberation of the individual. It's, mm-hmm. you know, liberation into what? And I think the liberation into the collective but of choice, uh, a, a liberation into a belonging of choice. Uh, is that next stage in this sort of human transformation into this sort of collective potential. And I think that's what we need to be able to tap into if we're going to solve some of the world's greatest challenges we're facing. Well, a lot, and that's really, I mean, I I think what you're spelling out is something which is really bold and has not yet been discussed very much, you know, at at kind of a a mass level, a collective level. But it it seems like it's it's something that people need to start, not just policymakers, but folks who are building companies, folks who are trying to organize movements need to start addressing front and center because a lot of the focus to date remains on either does the tech work for me individually? Is that tech company oppressing me, infringing upon my rights? Or is this either massive tech behemoth or uh, government uh, is somehow uh, either not allowing me to enjoy these freedoms or not? And so I think what you're talking about is is a, a part of the conversation that really hasn't Kind of bubbled up to the to at a mass level. It's not something that we routinely hear about and talk about in the media necessarily. I, that's that, just my perception. That I mean, that's that that's I think a a a very valid perspective to have. Uh, how do in, we get in, how do we get there? Because obviously, it seems like these are big problems that people grapple with. Especially if you think about people who are trying to create, you know, for instance, trying to revitalize democracy looking at uh, uh, weaknesses or failings of institutions and th- you know how can we deploy technology as a tool to be able to strengthen those things and it seems like that's some of what you're you're pointing to so I want to frame this carefully in terms of how we look at using technology as a mm. tool uh, I think that uh, that phrase in particular is very loaded okay uh, no uh, not not necessarily in a bad way but just I think we uh, f- framing that, uh, that intention within the context of uh, uh, an understanding around the the narrative of techno- te- uh, technological determinism, uh, the, the the sense that technology can be a solution to all of our problems, uh-huh. I think is is a, a a dangerous path to go down. And uh, whilst you know what we were talking about in terms of technology having enabled you know huge amounts of individual empowerment and agency and the ability to connect. And come together. I think there's uh, there's a danger in not, uh, as we were saying earlier, having the human in the loop, having the human mm. in mind when we are de- developing and deploying technology. And I think that's you know call this notion of human centered design, mm-hmm. but the, the, there's a difference between designing for somebody and designing with or enabling them to design by themselves, right? And I think that difference in approach in terms of that enabling and the empowerment uh, comes through the ways in which we think about designing and then deploying technology itself. So even some of the features, it's not even saying taking a fully 
fully baked tech tool and saying either it works for me or or I work for it. It's actually considering what what parts of this even make sense. We have these other objectives we're trying to achieve, whether it's uh, you know the household we live in or the city we we're part of, and you know what what kind of things are going to help us achieve those goals, those social goals, those common goals, and let's figure out what we can bring to bear on that. Exactly. And who are the allies in helping us take that perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Take that human-centered perspective, that user-centered perspective, that citizen-centered perspective. And I think Mm -hmm. when we think about then some of these larger regulatory frameworks that are being discussed, for example, privacy laws, the general data protection regulation in Europe, these are explicitly human-centered, user-centered, citizen-centered regulations that are being designed to influence the development of technologies to be more so. And I think when we think then about uh, one, regulation more broadly and how we engage uh, the, uh, you know, all of us in their design of those regulations to, you know, maintain this focus. And we think about the different institutions from nonprofits and, you know, third party uh, uh, institutions that have yet to be created, but that could fill this role of like the collective bargaining or you know, independent audit, uh, a sort of entity that is trusted with custody of our data, for example, or trusted with examining you know these algorithms that otherwise are black boxes, right? To init, to determine whether they are fair and whether they do you know meet certain standards. I think all of these are uh, mechanisms of governance that we can think about. Uh, in terms of designing this broader ecosystem that is very user or human centered. And that as a whole can be part of how we think about the uh, deployment and design of technologies more generally so that they are more user and human centered. Well, it sounds a lot like you're you're getting at something that you've worked on for a long time with Legal.io and, and other initiatives around, you know, kind of the legal system itself and the, the process of adjudicating differences, looking at the adversarial process and and kind of this approach, well, it's the best system we have, so that's that's the one we that's the one we're going to work with. And you're actually, uh, I hear you putting that we can actually do better, and that there's a way to try to not just say, okay, we have two parties, and if you just represent with zeal your client, uh, over time the best interests of society will be will will come forward. You're you're talking about something a different way of both resolving conflict, but also creating. Uh, uh, new ways to to um, come together. Is that, am I reading too much into it? Because it does sound like, you know, what we learned in law school and kind of like, okay, let's 2.0 that. I I want to say yes and uh, uh, to, to all of that. In a sense, I was really, really fortunate to have the opportunity to, again, be, a, be part of communities at Stanford and uh, and elsewhere, but particularly at Stanford, Helping to nurture and build a community of entrepreneurs at Stardex was, uh, you know, a transformative uh, experience for me. Just in terms of seeing the both the human potential uh, and how we could uh, remove all the blockages to, you know, fully unleashing human potential in a particular field or area. All of these professors, PhDs, graduates, you know, super super smart and motivated, committed entrepreneurs who we were creating a community of. And, and for and by and designing it with them, uh, you know, as a you know nonprofit educational initiative. But again, it was about not just that that human potential, but also the collective potential. Because together, there was this collective intelligence and this collective uh-huh. uh, ability to create something more than the the, the individual, which uh, was very 
tangible once you, you once you were there in sure. person and feeling that. And I think that that collective potential uh, uh, to create something, to make something, I think is something that I really want to see uh, unleashed within uh, our legal system and for yeah. lawyers. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's that you know that's what drove. Uh, us to set legal.io up uh, originally it was called law gives we we, uh-huh. we were looking at this much more as a, a sort of a collective uh you know commons framework for lawyers who were giving you know of their materials and their time but uh as legal.io it's become this larger innovation and operations platform uh, where we support lawyers in uh, working in ways that are more aligned with the kind of future that they want to be a part of. And so that involves, you know, working both with large enterprise legal departments and helping them get the right talent and solutions, you know, that fit the way that they want to work uh, and helping, you know, our network and communities of lawyers uh, adapt to these new technologies and, and methodologies of working as well. But what's what's striking, and I think it's, it's, um, it's worth noting, that everything you talked about was about the, the people, the community, the engagement, the understanding of these synergies, and and all of that was without mentioning tech or some kind of you know some kind of technology, so- hardware, software solution, which of course it's like uh, gets to your your earlier and broader point. And I think that's something that um, you know obviously human centered design thinking is that's what it's rooted in. But for people to understand as we we actually look at um, the, the near and, and soon to be real future for all of us. It's how, how are we actually going to interact with these programs, whether they're AI powered, whether it's, you know, we're putting all our financial systems on the blockchain. How are we going to do what you're talking about and make sure that those things are, are helping a lattice work that supports a, this human community building? Well, first off, I, I want to say thank you for uh, bringing this to the how, because I, I, I do want to uh, speak to some of the, I think, the concrete potentials mm-hmm. uh, of blockchain technologies and, and, and of these kinds of distributed yes. ledgers yes. that, that uh, I think can enable some of this collective potential uh, unleashing. Uh, secondly, I love the fact that you mentioned uh, the lattice, uh, uh, something that I've often uh, sort of visualized in my mind as a bamboo lattice work mm-hmm. uh, uh, for you know regulations and laws that is both strong but also flexible and that grows and is organic as well. Yes. Uh, yeah. But you know the, the the strength in the lattice work, uh, but also the transparency of a lattice work, right. you know, uh, allows you to see exactly where those bounds are and you know that their, their flexibility whilst being transparent. And again, it's this notion right. of what we, what are some of the ideals in, ter- in terms of. Uh, a regulatory framework that we might want to it's imagine. It's neither a black future. box or a wall. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway. Uh, uh, yeah, let's do to, it. To, to, to talk it. about blockchain technologies as a, a governance technology, as a tool of law, a tool for the legal system to be able to use in carrying out the functions of a legal system. Mm-hmm. I think this is um, at heart... Uh, when we th- when we think from a creative or an entrepreneurial mindset, uh, sure. what is exciting uh, about the, you know the, let's call it the blockchain revolution, but sure. the, the 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 fundamental capacity to participate and engage in uh, the the rulemaking uh, for a new kind of institution, a new kind of uh, coordination uh, potential. Uh, and are you are you talking broadly? Are you talking on chain? Are you talking IRL? Are you talking? I mean, because I think these conversations about governance often are you talk to a, a, a group of folks at a crypto conference and they're talking about how to like uh, decide how to release a token. 
And then you talk to folks at an SEC regulatory conference and they're talking about how to, you know, uh, bring folks to to uh, court or other. I mean, but you're talking about governance in in both ways. Right. And how do you how do you integrate those conversations and how do you make something that is both on chain and IRL? So let's focus uh, on, on just distinguishing those those pieces. What you right. said first was the notion of on-chain governance and the governance uh, between miners, developers, nodes, uh, and like the distribution of tokens and the distribution of rewards and uh, the decisions around when to adopt new software upgrades and or when when or if to fork. I think these decisions uh, that are oftentimes you know technical uh, uh, in nature. Uh, but sometimes are, uh, are determinative of like the, you know, fundamental fairness or equity or value sets that the, you know, this particular infrastructure is trying to support. Um, I think there's a lot of work that, uh, and a lot of research that can be done in terms of, uh, the best ways to appropriately create the separation of powers and the, uh, the due process and fairness that, uh, is appropriate for the specific decisions. Uh, that are being made. And I think that's part of the, the art and science of governance is knowing what kinds of decision-making mechanisms are appropriate for what kinds of, and right. what kinds of decision-making scopes in terms of the involvement and participation are most legitimate and will provide the most stability and or you know, uh, forward momentum depending upon what you're looking for as part of a particular framework. Now, the other part is what you said about off-chain governance and potentially that inter interaction between on-chain governance and off-chain governance. And I think that that's this broader conversation around how blockchains kind of fit into uh, the existing legal systems that we right. have. How yeah. decisions and the flow of value and disputes that may happen as a result of interactions on blockchains can or should be enforced uh, and or taxed and or uh, uh, you know uh, you know prohibited uh, right. by our broader legal systems, and I think that um, you know we, we there's a lot of different avenues uh, uh, for for doing that, and you know conventional contract law, uh, we can have new legislation that can be explicit around certain things, but. Um, the that that work is ongoing and you know i look forward to you know further uh, clarification of that through the work that red tracks is doing uh, but certainly i think there are a lot of uh, professionals who've uh, you know clarified in their jurisdictions uh, the ways in which blockchain uh, 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 both technologies and uh, interactions and transactions would be enforced or made legitimate through their own jurisdictions um, i think the interesting part about that uh, the, the integration, though, is looking yeah. at where there are opportunities mm -hmm. in the ways that blockchain technologies work yes. in terms of uh, embedding rules, allowing the monitoring of the enforcement of those rules, uh, embedding enforcement itself, uh, scoping, uh, all of these sort of broader design principles that uh, are actually elucidated one by one in uh, Eleanor Ostrom's uh, Nobel Economics Prize winning uh, paper uh, around the governance of the commons. Uh, she elucidates right. a, a series of design principles that are remarkable in terms of how they fit the uh, capabilities uh, that blockchain technologies provide for. And I think by using these capabilities as uh, what we call functional equivalents uh -huh. uh, for certain regulations, uh, this makes the jobs of regulators way easier. This, this, this is a 
quintessential form of regulatory technology. Yes. And for regulators, and I know I've been speaking to regulators who are willing to see that potential for both making their jobs easier, making their jobs uh, and the outcomes of their work much more transparent and scalable uh, in terms of, you know, the ability for compliance uh, and, uh, uh, and, and, and the transparency uh, around good actors and, 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 and the changing in the game theoretic dynamics uh, that, that bad actors have to operate within. I, I think it's uh, that this piece of it is really important because obviously as you, it's, it's because it's such new territory uh, across the board, both, both whether you're talking about regulators or technologists and academics, uh, really being able to have some working theoretical construct that people can get their heads around to be able to have a discussion based upon, that seems to be like a critical uh, next step uh, because we'll obviously get to a point where, you know, like in climate, you, we're going to have to get accords between nations and between uh, entities, uh, uh, transnational accords. These are this, this is a global, immediately global technology. And so to be able to have something that that is, uh, if you will, global in its regulatory effect, you're going to have to be able to have at least, it'll have to be... Uh, synergistic in a way that that works and i think this is obviously we don't want to wait and we can't wait until every nation agrees and every regulatory uh, body has approved legislation however we do need to figure out how these things can work together we can't have um that kind of political dynamic uh is something obviously everybody has to deal with but i think what you're suggesting is a framework where people can at least have conversations uh, obviously you have to get beyond like whether this is an absolute this should be barred from existing or not. And I think that's, that's, we need to move beyond that. Um, but beyond that, I think we have to give people a way to understand it and discuss it. So one way that I've been uh, looking to discuss and understand this way that we work together at these multi, uh, multiple levels, you talk yes. about transnational, but you also talk about corporations, you talk about communities, you'll talk about citizens. Yes. Uh, at, at the scale of a, global extinction emergency right uh you know we're not just talking about climate change we're talking about extinction emergencies yes. right now where yes. uh you know vast uh, uh you know numbers of species and animals and plants around the world are, are, are dying off because their habitats are being destroyed like these kinds of uh, uh conversations around how we figure things out and work together uh, really do take on a different kinds of uh, emergency. I, I agree, we can't wait. Uh, and so uh, I think, yes, absolutely, we're beyond, you know, should we, can we, it's, you know, how do we? And so in terms of uh, how do we implement these regulatory technologies, these blockchain uh, frameworks to govern, for example, uh, the ways that we coordinate to uh, you know, reduce our, uh, you know, uh, our carbon, our carbon emissions or, uh, coordinate on, uh, how we, you know, clean up our rivers. I think these can and will involve, I think, emergent community action that doesn't necessarily need top-down regulation. Uh, part of the beauty of some of the ways that we can organize uh, and have common metrics and create a, a data commons in, a, in uh -huh. effect, uh, is that, um, you know, this, uh, this can happen without top-down uh, permission uh, in some ways. And, you know, Bitcoin... So it's not just a framework, it's also a practice, a, 
in fact, uh, people will be able to both see but also act upon that those actions. I think so. I think so. I think that uh, what we'll hopefully have over the next six to 12 months is a series of templates for you know, collective local action around specific kinds of uh, uh, community goals that they want to take part in. Uh, you know, the, the, the self-definition of identity as an individual through the collective actions mm. that you want to take part in will start to become... Uh, much more a part of daily civic life, I think. Once we get to have these common experiences mapped out uh, and, and available and accessible on a, on a baseline level, uh, this kind of civic engagement around collective participation and collective goals, once again, once it's instrumented, mapped out, templated, I think as part of education, as part of civic engagement, as part of the, the, the daily interactions that we have with the social enterprises all around that are engaging with this common data set, around what we have considered are these collective goals and how we take part in those right. and show our participation. And that becomes our reputation. I think this is a, a, you know, a very bright future so long as that data around our participation is controlled by ourselves. And you're talking about adding, because obviously this is something as long as uh, humans have uh, been in existence, we have figured a way to organize and cl uh, take collective action. And obviously, you know, in, in a lot of it comes far before the first computer, before uh, the first database. But you're talking about a way to help accelerate positive actions and, and growing community through the use of the very, um, uh, and this I will say, technology, database technology as a tool for that type of collective action. It's a way to for people to be able to see it. And then that, in the, in the way that, the early internet was able to accelerate mass communication in a way yep. that that really helped in some ways you know when, when we used to put up when we used to put up flyers you know for like an anti-apartheid rally and we i had a staple gun and set of flyers and go around and with the internet uh, actually you're able to to reach a much larger audience much quicker and be able to do those things that there are very tangible results of those types of technology and you're talking about how do we use database technologies, particularly blockchain decentralized ledger, to be able to do this kind of? And it's just that one—it's that one step, but it's a big step beyond yeah. mass communication to mass yeah. participation, yeah. right? And the recording of that participation, and again, in a way that is not Big Brother or even yes. Big Mother, exactly. Right? It's uh, uh, because you know there's there's a world there's a vision of Big Mother which is like you know caring and nurturing. And, you know, looking out for our best, right? But at some point, we want to be able to grow up as well. Absolutely. And we want to be away from the constraints of Big Mother as well. Right. We want to be our own big brothers and sisters. Absolutely. Well, uh, we believe in brothers, yeah. agency of choice. I mean, that's... <laughs> exactly. The that's, the point. that's the point. That's the point. I was just stretching that metaphor a bit. That's but right. The, 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 therefore, again, thinking about the design of blockchain technologies and infrastructures, self-sovereign identity... Uh, uh, tool sets and skill sets that enable us, you know, maybe with the help of these third party institutions that need to be a part of this digital commons ecosystem that include, you know, data cooperatives or data right. unions, right, that help us, uh, support us in working with our data and working with our own, you know, AI potentially again. But all of that data, that AI is, is uh, operating within the framework of a rule set that is designed in our interest. And I think that rule set is what we can bake in through blockchains. So let's talk about 
here's a, here's one I'll throw you a meaty one that it nobody's quite figured out eloquently yet but you, we just went through a a, a really um, difficult situation uh, on how to treat the future of work in California with the question of regulatory uh, control over the gig economy uh, and uh, and now we're seeing phase two likely to happen with a ballot measure that would that would undo the work of AB5 uh, on the gig economy. The question of the future of work is obviously one that's on everybody's mind. There are not a lot of good answers uh, for folks who want to try to have um, confidence that there will be a future of of work for themselves and for their kids and everything else. I think when what you're talking about alluding to are ways that you can have um, with gig economy something that's more secure. Uh, you reference co-ops. You reference different modes of organization. In some ways, uh, new institutions uh, and new ways that people can both get security and be able to, um, you know, essentially earn a living, which we all need to do, right? And I think this is it's it's it hasn't been at least so far. These kind of uh, these kind of ideas haven't really bubbled to the top in terms of policy discussions. And I'm wondering if you've thought about this in in this context. Well, I've been fortunate to be involved with a tremendous organization. Uh, they're a, a 501c3 nonprofit called Shareable. Uh, they're a media and policy uh, outfit uh, uh, that's been working for some time around uh, sharing economy uh, uh, stories and, and, and policies for cities that are looking to support local sharing economy uh-huh. uh, work. And, and by sharing economy, this isn't the Airbnb and Uber and Lyft uh, that sort of, sort of somewhat co-opted the, the the words. We're talking here about sort of local uh, sort of tool banks and uh, the uh, ability more recently for uh, platform cooperatives, which are, uh, for example, drivers who are self-organizing uh-huh. uh, with technologies that enable them to set up their own local versions of an Uber or right. an Airbnb. And I think that potential uh, for a locally owned, uh, locally powered uh, sort of sharing economy infrastructure uh, based around uh, sort of resource sharing and developing a commons that uh, of, of different kinds of resources that we as a community want to develop and share and nurture for, you know, that belonging, that, you know, collective identity. I think that is something that, um, you know, is a potential that blockchain technologies uh, open up even further. Uh, I mean, I think this, this, these are, these are uh, sch- schemes that rely somewhat upon uh, databases and having a distributed decentralized database uh, guarantees in some sense peer that you're not yeah this yeah. this sort of peer to peer uh, underpinning this design that's going to enable you to if you want to centralize certain governance functions like uh-huh. you know human resources or let's say human wellness right, right? Uh, right. but the, the 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 broader governance you can also bake in is going to distribute the value back to the participants you know in a transparent way that is not going to you know line the pockets of some some capitalists and i think that right. that and again, this is cliche to some extent, and I, yeah. I don't want to, you know, bash capitalism uh, at all in in terms of you know a lot of the fundamental dynamics uh, of of growth and scaling. But not every single area requires growth and scaling. And I think that looking at uh, areas where we want to uh, limit the scope of market 
values and market operations and look more towards uh, designing for uh, a commons and designing based upon commons principles, I think that potential also is you know, a big part of what having these transparent rules and these uh, uh, enabling uh, frameworks for decentralized uh, uh, institutions that operate with cooperative principles at heart. Well, and, and that, e yeah. even, frankly, sharing economy, things which are not either undervalued or not valued right now. Yes. So in a way, in a way, bringing them into being able to have not only appreciated, but actually valued and in a monetary way so that when folks are taking care of their, you know, either young, the young or the old or the infirm, that that's something which not only they'll be appreciated as a human being for, but actually they could get compensated for. Because I think that's one of the things that a lot of what we care about the most that are not funded through our current governmental systems or underfunded are those things which are not defined as marketable. You can't monetize them in the same way. And when those efforts are done to monetize it, often it actually there's a tension, whether it's you know in education or otherwise. So what you're talking about potentially is a way for people to actually share and care and also be able to live. That is earn... Uh, earn for their caring and sharing that potentially absolutely and I think being aware and and bringing these context, contexts into the, the the conversation helps to uh, I think elevate the the potential for again making transparent that which has been opaque uh, before right. uh, the this notion that there's uh, there's a ability to openly value, uh, contributions beyond mere wage labor, but like right. someone's meaningful contributions. Yes. Uh, someone, yeah, as you're saying, the care that someone provides, uh, uh, having uh, a, a uh, honest accounting for you know all of the different inputs that are, are required for a collective or a community success. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, I think um, are some of these new ways that we can think about governing ourselves and governing these new kinds of collective organizations that we're going to use for the future of work. Yeah. Uh, and they are going to look, you know, potentially more like freelance collectives. And we're going sure. to have the ability, you know, even in the context of our con current, uh, I think, working frameworks, we already have the opportunity to engage in volunteer work, for example. Right. Uh, and oftentimes volunteering, whether, you know, it's with your local community or with a particular cause, that gives you the additional element to your identity, but also your working uh, framework and mentality. And right. I think the more that we lean into those kinds of opportunities to expand our identity uh, and expand the bounds of our identity by engaging with other kinds of collectives beyond our specific, you know, uh, uh, current work environment, right. I think that that entrepreneurial mindset mm -hmm. uh, and the ways in which we can engage with these different kinds of uh, potential, you know, more freelance entrepreneurial uh, activities, I think those opportunities can and will become more uh, uh, more prevalent. Yeah. Uh, with, with hopefully, and I think that it's that next step in the the use cases for right. these, you know distributed database technologies. Right. That you know I'm really excited to see over the next six to twelve months. You know, as we see more of these you know DAOs, distributed autonomous organizations, but also you know there's there's these things called discos, which are distributed cooperative organizations, which maybe discos you know, love it embed yeah. some of these uh, uh, you know these broader principles around. Uh, care and, and yeah. value accounting. That's I mean, and and we're gonna have to dive into that. That those are uh, obviously like whole other shows and episodes, but the super interesting and obviously, uh, frankly, more important, uh, super um, 
that that's the kind of thing we're going to have to figure out sooner than later. I, I I really do feel like what you're what you're doing by helping chart out the questions we should be asking, and then trying to trying to sketch out some of the ways we think about um, answering those questions is is really important right now. I think there's a lot of very smart people that are struggling with this. I think that that given the right set of of discussions. Um, and getting the right people in the same rooms and then multiple rooms, uh, we're going to be able to have a, a lot of these things. You know, as you said, there'll be a thousand flowers blooming or a thousand concentric circles uh, being drawn. Uh, I, I absolutely think what you're what you're doing. I'm, I'm super glad we had the opportunity to talk. But one thing I will we say, wrap, well, please, I mean, Tony, uh, yeah. uh, one thing I will say is that it's exciting right now to see the potential for a lot of different uh, disciplines and. Uh, specia- specialities yes. and competencies coming together yes. around some of these questions because I think you know far beyond law and uh, uh, and seeing law opening up to you know behavioral economics and you know policy makers and sociology and uh, as you know as well as you know distributed systems and complexity sciences and you know this broader range of discussions that are enabled when we think about you know, what these technologies of governance represent, I think are, are fascinating. You know, again, not to mention philosophy, you know, right. uh, Ruben, Ruben's right. own, you know, passion. And so, um, and I'm excited that, uh, for example, at Future Law, that we will be able to gather uh, one or hopefully two days of discussion around some of these broader topics, you know, with a specific day uh, or period focusing on, on DAOs and, you know, uh, distributed autonomous organizations and, yeah. and, you know, some of the key questions around how they can be governed and how they fit into, uh, you know, existing legal systems, but also how they can be, you know, very tangibly used for some of these, you know, freelance collectives and other kinds of, uh, you know, distributed uh, future of work, future of learning style organization methods right. uh, that are promised by these technologies. Right. It's not just coders or very smart coders and then the lawyers. That's traditionally been how people thought about building organizations in the tech space, but it's actually everybody that's needed to build institutions in the human space yep. and and it's exactly that complex and exactly that many opportunities for people to be able to participate and i think that's that's something it's it's very exciting and it's it's great to be able to to say hey uh uh regardless of where you are if you have an interest in building this whole new way of of organizing uh, our collective uh life then you should be part of it and that there's a, there's not only a room but it's imperative that that people from all these walks are participating. Otherwise, you get something that's very um, unidimensional and won't work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think maybe that's some of the dangers that we've fallen into with some of the infrastructures that we've set up so far is that maybe it's been a little bit too much on the, you know, technology deterministic yes, side, yes. you know, structured mainly through the lens of math and engineering. Right. And we're more latterly seeing, okay, design uh, sociology, you know, more, these more broader, you know, ethical frameworks right. of, you know, what is good for humans and what is good for nature and what is good for, you know, life in general, right. uh, you know, being brought to the forefront. And so, you know, I'm excited by, you know, that broader regulatory conversation, you know, and the ability for us to uh, collectively uh, organize around uh, a common, you know, set of metrics and data sets uh, that that speak to, you know, these broader human goals, the, the uh, humanity level goals, right. you know, the, the sustainable development goals, you know, right. are these 17, uh, you know, uh, specific areas with metrics that we can align around and we can, you know, add to. But 
there are a specific set of things that we have de- you know determined as a collective humanity we need to get right yeah. and there's ways that we can i think align around doing that as well through these these technologies oh this is great i i'm it's been a great conversation but frankly it, it gives me a, a measure of optimism when i think about going forward there's a lot of reasons to uh, have concern but this discussion reminds me of all these different ways that we actually have the ability to change and not just react against but create something new so tony thanks so much uh this is just this is a wrap for this but this is one in a series of and all the listeners will love to hear about what you're doing next and what you're thinking about yeah look forward i think to future law uh early april uh we'll have details coming out probably around the time this podcast is being released uh and i'll also be spending some time in asia uh with a new center for technology robotics ai and law uh i'll be uh, uh taking up a, a research position there to look into i think some of the tangible ways that we can uh, shape policy uh, around some of these these issues uh with uh, the singapore uh sort of use case as uh uh in the sense that they are playing host to a lot of blockchain foundations, uh, I think they also represent uh, this interesting intersection between uh, legal technology and a willingness to engage with legal technology uh, and also corporate governance. Uh, wow, that was a big drop. I love that. That's now we're, we already have to get you back on and hear about that. That's great. Uh, all right, Tony. Well, thanks. It's been awesome. Really, really enjoyed it, the opportunity. I'm sure our folks who are listening agree. And, uh, you know, for your work to date and for all the things you're going to be leading together with other folks. Uh, looking forward to it. Ruben, Michael, thank you very much. Right on. Okay. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Get your thoughts and feedback about the issues raised in the podcast and your ideas on where we should go next. Our Data is a podcast brought to you by the Blockchain Group and the Tech for Good project of Stanford's Codex Center for Legal Informatics. Thanks to the co-chairs of the Codex Blockchain Group, Tony Lai and Kushagra Srivastava, and Codex Executive Director, Roland Vogel. And special thanks to our producer, co-host, and jack-of-every-trade, Ruben Youngbaum. I'm Michael Schmitz.